there will be a tipping point where it's like, how do you actually crack the code of adherence and willpower and behavior change to affect like a broad swath of people? And I think that's what I'm most excited about. Welcome to the Bar Bench Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to Joe Veneri, co-founder of FIT, that's F-I-T-T, and the mind behind FIT Insider, one of the fitness industry's leading platforms for the business of fitness. Joe's also a former gym owner and passionate writer in the space. Joe lives at a unique intersection of fitness business and practice. That means everything from breaking news on digital health and fitness to connecting investors with startups in the space and highlighting what his team thinks are the next big things to impact how wellness conscious consumers live our lives. In today's episode, we talk about the future of working out at home, how COVID-19 will have lasting impacts on the fitness landscape and the next billion or even trillion dollar opportunities in health. Also, I want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barben podcast in your app of choice. I'd also recommend subscribing to the Barben newsletter to stay up to date on all things strength. Just go to barben.com newsletter to start becoming the smartest person in your gym today. Now let's get to it. Jovenary, thank you so much for for joining us. I've had the pleasure of of knowing you for quite some some time. I mean, it's it's almost a decade now. I think when we were both starting off in fitness content online, but in the past few years, you and, and your brother actually have developed a really cool uh, niche within a niche within the niche. Let's call it that within yeah. the fitness space through Fit F I T T. And uh, you cover in many ways the business of fitness. So, like, what is this industry doing? What does it look like? How is technology uh, factoring in? If you don't mind, for those who might not know, give us like the elevator pitch for Fit and the kind of things you all cover. Definitely. So, uh, Fit F I T T dot co. What you mentioned uh, is basically a, a discovery platform for health and fitness content. Uh, so, a few years back, we saw the opportunity around. Eater and Thrillist and Infatuation, a lot of these sites that basically tell people where they can, you know, go to a bar, get a burger nearby. Uh, and there's really nothing like that for fitness. Uh, so we created that for gyms and studios, uh, juice bars, hiking trails, things of that nature. And we've taken it from one city to 30 cities, um, you know, kind of scaled that business up along the way to be able to do some booking. So now you can find that yoga studio and in another time when yoga studios were open, uh, you could register for classes. Um, and MindBody, who's a, a big booking platform in that space, uh, is an investor. So we're working with them to pilot booking uh, kind of in a bigger way. And then when it comes to the business of fitness and wellness, we also have a vertical uh, newsletter and podcast called Fit Insider. And that's really focused on what's happening um, really in a, a quick evolving, fast evolving industry. Um, Everything from we really targeted towards the investors, the entrepreneurs, uh, and the founders who are doing everything from connected fitness to wearables to uh, just wellness more broadly. So yeah. try to cover it all. 
And, and one thing I'll, I'll, I'll warn readers of, this isn't a warning. This is a celebration. There's going to be some inside baseball here. This is a podcast where you're going to learn about how a lot of the, the fitness industry really works behind the scenes from the business side of things. So that's something I'm, I'm really, I'm really going to pick your brain on, on Joe. And I do want to back it up just a little bit. It's fit.co, F-I-T-T.co. It was originally Pittsburgh, correct? Because you started off in just that one city of Pittsburgh. Man, um, taking it way back. Uh, it hasn't been that long, but yes. So I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, based there. I'm, I'm there now. And we started just as a hobby. You know, David, as you mentioned, to begin with, I was doing a lot of writing kind of across the web on all types of health and fitness content. And as a side project, a hobby almost, my brother and I said, hey, why don't we post some of these things that we see and come across ourselves in Pittsburgh uh, just for people to see? So farmer's markets, run routes, where you might go on a hike, um, you know, hidden swimming holes and things like that. Uh, and people really seem to like it. So, uh, from the time that it was a black and gold, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, site till now it's, it's evolved quite a bit. And, uh, now we drop the, you know, Berg and it's just fit, but yeah, very, uh, humble beginnings and no intention of doing what we've done to this point. That was your, the, the Facebook to just Facebook moment. Drop the, drop the bird. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you did raise a, I mean, it seemed like there was a moment because you, you mentioned you have investors. MindBody is one of your investors. So you did raise a round of funding as someone who's done that before. I know there is a moment where it's like, oh, well, we're doing this now. This is for real now. Yeah. So when was that moment or about when were you like, okay, this is like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go all at this and we're going to make fit, you know, fit.co a thing. I think there were, I think there were really two things. That's a great question. The first was when people started coming to us and saying, Hey, how do we do this in our city? Mm. So friends that had maybe moved away or people that I went to college with or had worked with in the industry were like, why don't you do this in Boston or New York or Cleveland or Portland or wherever? And we thought, you know, wow, maybe there is an appetite for this beyond just a, a side project and maybe some at that time, maybe passive advertising revenue to the extent that that exists. Um, and that kind of gave us the, hey, why don't we try to do this? We actually took some of our own money and, and bootstrapped it from that first city to call it five cities. And then at that point, we had a, we were able to sign on some pretty big partners. Um, UPMC Health Plan, which is a big insurance company here in the region, uh, as well as some of the sports teams. And that led us to the, the first group of investors were actually the family that owns the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mm. So they were kind of our angel pre-seed funding. Uh, and then last fall, we did what is like a, a typical institutional round, uh, Mountain State Capital, which is a, a VC firm, and then MindBody joined as well. Great. Now, I, I, the one thing I want to focus on more is obviously uh, fit.co as a, as a booking platform. Um, something that I'm sure we could, we could talk ad nauseum about the complications of that given the COVID-19 pandemic and how that's yeah. changed things. But one thing I really want to focus on that I think is um, thriving right now, and really of interest to me and potentially our readers, is the vertical where you cover the business of fitness and how fitness is changing. Um, I love following you on Twitter. I love, uh, I subscribe to the newsletter. I love hearing what you all push out. You recently, well, I saw it first through you all. I'm not sure if you officially broke it, but the uh, Lululemon acquiring Mirror, the, the kind of connected at-home fitness company for $500 million. I saw that on your Twitter feed, got your mm -hmm. newsletter blast about it. So you're really on the cutting edge of, of cut, covering these things. Why did you decide to open up this vertical that is really not, it's only tangentially related to the original core business of fit. 
Yeah, the idea initially was uh, totally self-serving, to be honest. <laughs> you know, we looked, <laughs> we looked at the initial platform and said, hey, we need to get partnerships. We need to get mm-hmm. advertisers. We need to get API integration. Um, we're relatively nobody in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, so how is it that we're going to get to these folks without just cold calling them or leveraging our existing network? Let's just really, let's create really compelling content. Um, and that started, you know, just about a year ago at this point. So it's, it's grown rather quickly in terms of the demand and appetite for it. Um, but from there, when we started to see like, hey, people are really enjoying this. And then we looked at the, the industry in terms of who's covering it mm-hmm. in, in detail. You see there's really old school players, you know, maybe a club industry or like a health and club racket industry newsletter. Yeah, they, they all have health club, racket, something. And I'm, I'm biased. Yeah. I've actually spoken at some events. Put on yeah, they're great. Like that. And, they're, and they're great, but it's just like the names just kind of seem like they're a bit from a bygone era. Yeah. And so you, you very much got that vibe that it was big box gyms that they are focused on. How do you operate a health club? Um, all of that, which is, is great. And we can talk about how the landscape is shifting. But then on the flip side, the only other thing that existed was, you know, every now and then Fast Company would write about Peloton or they would write about SoulCycle or whatever the, the big popping name brand was. And we thought, wow, we have a lot of insights with operators, investors, executives who are, are really deep in the weeds. Maybe we can kind of land somewhere in the middle to give people who are just kind of interested in the consumer aspects some insights, but then operators, you know, some really in-depth uh, kind of insider baseball, like you mentioned, um, you know, info to, to help them with their careers and, and network. And I do want to clarify because people who are listening to this podcast, I mean, it's a barbend podcast. We, we write strength mm. training, news, content, strength sports. I mean, strength is our thing. But what you're covering is, is the broader realm of fitness, but it's still very relevant to the strength community. And I want to emphasize that because it's not just Peloton, you know, the at-home stationary bike, right? It's companies right. like Mirror, like Tonal, uh, which we've actually reviewed on, on Barbend. Um, things that are relevant to strength training at home, the connectedness of strength training, uh, being very data-oriented, quantified self, things that may not be impacting, you know, the average powerlifting gym right now, but that technology certainly has a carryover to the strength training space. And it's something that like, if it's not already impacting your life immediately, like it will be soon, right? We have strength athletes group bands during competitions. These are things that are relevant to the strength community. What are some of the companies that you have covered that you think are kind of most relevant um, to strength athletes right now and maybe if they're not super relevant to strength athletes right now might should probably be on their radar moving forward 100 percent. i'll start super close to home i mean rogue when you look Mm -hmm. at rogue and what they've been able to do and transforming the landscape scaling up their business especially how it relates to COVID 19 um now with the kind of uh whatever controversy you call it at crossfit them stepping into the industry and, and potentially having a more leadership role as that continues to evolve um, I mean, that's huge. I think they're, they're going to define that, continue to define that landscape. Um, as you go down that path, uh, someone who's kind of closely related to uh, the CrossFit industry is OPEX. Mm-hmm. So OPEX obviously training a lot of the uh, athletes at the games. A good yeah. buddy of mine who's also has some Pittsburgh roots, uh, Jim Kroll, who used to be the CEO at OPEX. Yeah. Um, talk to him on, on our podcast. We've had James Fitzgerald on our podcast as well. It's like a cool, a cool thing, what they've built there. Yeah. And a lot of roots, like way old school in the CrossFit community. 
hundred percent. And so what I kind of take pride in is being able to take these things that are central to uh, the landscape as consumers might know it, or as different athletes or exercisers know it and relate it to some of the new evolutions that are coming out. And more specifically, you mentioned whoop, uh, Will Ahmed over there is the CEO doing some really innovative stuff. And certainly a lot of CrossFitters are using that. A lot of strength athletes are using that. Um, and more recently, you have companies like uh, Tempo, which is a, a Mir competitor. So Mir being this interactive LED screen um, that you can you know, get personal training, group fitness classes from. Um, they focus a lot on you know, no weights. Uh, tempo actually comes with weights. I think it's close to 200 pounds. So uh, a barbell and some dumbbells that you can do the, the strength training along with it. Uh, and then probably leading the way with that innovation is tonal. Yeah. Uh, tonal is, you know, think of it as the Peloton of strength training. Um, you know, they come in white glove service, affix it to your wall, and they use magnets and levers that move up and down uh, to really generate force. I think over 250 pounds of force um, and recently introduced uh, 17 sensors that track form, range of motion, and positioning. Yeah. So giving real-time feedback for that at-home exerciser who's interested in strength training. Yeah, we actually had a we had a tonal uh, setup in the barbell gym for uh, for a bit. We reviewed the product, um, and uh, let me tell you, I was actually a little surprised. I saw it coming in, and I was you know I'd seen Mirror before, and I was like. I'm a pretty strong guy. Like, well, this isn't going to be too much of a, too much of a challenge, but, uh, like anyone who can tell, you know, it, it's, it can be humbling. Um, I think yeah. that the, the, the fact that these, a lot of these systems and it, it, it could be tonal, uh, it could be tempo. You know, I, I want to say broadly that I think they're doing a really good job of saying, okay, like what are people's goals when it comes to strength? Yeah. Right. And are we actually delivering, uh, an experience that can replicate the feeling of being in a gym because it's not just the fact that people want results. People enjoy their workouts. They do this because yep. they enjoy the training, right? So if consumers aren't getting that feeling, if they're not feeling like they worked out or they had some resistance, it's probably not going to go over too well. So it's really cool to see yeah. what people are doing with these setups when it comes to the experience of working out, not just the results-oriented aspects. Sure. And listen, as much as this stuff is cool and there's a lot of hype around it, and certainly when you look at Peloton, which is a multi-billion dollar company, um, Tonal is reported to be raising upwards of $200 million right now. That ha that round hasn't closed, but that's kind of what people are talking about. Um, I have a gym set up, you know, I have bumper plates, I have kettlebells, I have a dumbbell, I have, you know, the full blown CrossFit set up. Uh, and fortunate enough to have the space to do that. And I think, you know, that's what I love. And I, I don't think I could get into having purely relying on like an at home connected fitness device, but for people who don't have the space, maybe they live in a, a smaller apartment, um, and this is all that they have, especially in a time now where you're talking about a pandemic where gyms are closed. That's where you're seeing this surge of, of sales and, and interest in these devices. Well, we, you even mentioned kind of like the, the, the classic garage gym setup that you have. I, I live in, in, in New York City, so I don't quite have that space, but I do have like my sets of kettlebells and dumbbells and yeah. my steel mace at home and these things I use. You know, I, I was thinking about this in preparation for our conversation today, and I, I was swinging my kettlebell earlier this week, one of my kettlebells, and I was like, you know what? Like, this seems really old school, and this seems like something that that is like the least technologically advanced. But you know, ten years from now, am I going to be swinging the same kettlebell with that same kind of cast iron, or depending if it's a competition bell, like stainless steel finish? And there's going to be a chip in there and an accelerometer, and it's going to be a connected kettlebell. So I'm still getting that same experience, but then I can get on the app after and 
and like track my force output or something like that, right? Is there a way to transfer that old school experience with new connectivity? Yeah. And I, you know, quite frankly, those, those things exist, right? There's some early stages. There's a company called Jax mm-hmm. that is a, a kettlebell uh, that does some of this stuff. And I do believe, yeah, we'll continue, we'll continue to see it evolve and people will track it and they will gamify it and they will measure progress and range of motion. And a, a big thing that's happening right now is like, how do you translate, especially for strength training, right? This is dangerous potentially if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and there is a learning curve. So when you have somebody like Tonal, what they're saying is like, we're reinventing the system of strength training to make it not reliant on, you have to have a personal trainer. You have to go to a physical location to do this. And there's even a conversation I talked to the CEO of Tonal uh, on the podcast and he said, Hey, you know, we might open physical locations, not just showrooms where you can come in and work with a personal trainer, learn how to use the equipment and then use yours at home as well, which I think is smart. But at the end of the day, the thing that nobody has able to, been able to crack, at least to this point, is uh, willpower. Look, y- you still have to swing the kettlebell, right? Um, there is an element of behavior change that comes along with it. So to the extent that the industry is growing and people are buying these devices, um, you know, a lot of it is marketing. And a lot of it is building a brand around this aspirational product and you know, some social signaling that might come along with having these different devices. Um, and the people, you know, at least right now, who are going to find a way to exercise anyway, you know, would go run in the park, would do push-ups outside, are the people that are buying these and using mm-hmm. these because they just want the next latest and greatest thing. So there will be a tipping point where it's like, how do you actually crack the code of adherence and willpower and behavior change to affect like a broad swath of people? And I think that's what I'm most excited about. Well, I got to say, you know, is, is that something that we're going to see roll out from, from fit in the near future? Your willpower coach or a productized yeah. willpower, commoditized willpower. You know, if I could do that, it would be a much different conversation. We'd be uh, probably standing on the, much like Peloton, the, the floor at the NASDAQ ringing the bell and, and changing the world. So, um, you know, if I get that, I'll, we can break it on the podcast. Yeah. You, you let me know. I'll be the first, I'll be the first investor in that. We'll get some, we'll get some funds together. I want to chat a little bit about, uh, you know, you, you've been in the fitness industry for a long time. As far as the, the vertical at fit that's covering the business of fitness, it's just over a year old, but you've had perspective mm-hmm. for much longer. We all have these surprise points, or at least I can point to these surprise points where I've been surprised about the business of fitness and how valuable it is. Could be monetary value acquisition. Um, Lululemon's, Acquisition of Mirror for five hundred million dollars recently. Not even, we're not even a month. We're not even two weeks from uh, removed from that. I think from that announcement surprised a lot of people. They're like, "Wow, that is a huge acquisition." Mirror was a company that had raised a lot of money. Like they were, they saw themselves having that high valuation. To some, it was a surprise. To some, it was not a shock. Right. Right. Do you have that moment, or or those moments that come to mind where you were surprised by whether it's like the value of a company that they're raising at or that they're acquired at, or it could be when someone announces like, Hey, we have this many customers now and we're touching this many lives. What kind of metrics have started surprising you? Or do you remember that stick out to you since you've been covering the business of fitness? Yeah, I think, I think probably a few things and just to give listeners some context. So when you're talking about the the health club industry, the, the brick and mortar gym industry in the United States, it's like $30 billion a year. And more broadly, when you think about like the wellness industry, so everything that goes along with taking care of yourself, um, it's a $4.5 trillion global industry. Cool. So I think 
Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, getting into a lot of those numbers, I think those things really surprised me as we started going down the path of like, do we want to create this vertical? And is there enough to cover broadly? Um, and it's just, there's there's been a change over more recently, call it in the last, you know, probably 30 years where people have the luxury uh, of taking care of themselves, of spending money on not only their personal well-being, going to the gym, um, but everything from skin cream to supplements, to vitamins, to vacations that are all geared around like well-being and wellness more broadly. Uh, so when you start to look at those things, it's like, this is a huge part of our lives. And as we focus on doing that, it's, it's only going, it's only uh, projected to grow going into the future. Um, so then when you look at things like Peloton raising, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars before they went public. Um, and even at this point, you know, they have a million users um, or, you know, 1.8 million users. They were going on their, their last earnings call. That's still such a small piece of the population. Mm. When you think about the, the, all the people in, just in the United States, um, it's a fraction um, and you look at companies like maybe an Aptive, which is an audio training app. You know, I think it more recently they said they have 250,000 members. You know, 250,000 members out of all the people in the world that could be running, which is their main focus. It's like there's still so much room to grow. So I kind of think about it maybe the inverse of like these numbers are massive now, but as it relates to all the people that could be using it, wow, is there so much more room and upside in that industry? What do you think is the next, we've talked a little bit about connected strength training, right? And how that's something that's, we're still in kind of the nascent stages, I think, when it comes to connectivity and, and strength training. Um, we, you've mentioned Peloton, you've mentioned Aptiv, and you've mentioned the fact that no one's cracked the, the, um, the motivational code just yet. But what other kind of verticals yeah. within fitness or even recovery, we could call that, or nutrition? Mm. I know that's something you've been tweeting about a lot. You know, what are those next kind of sub-verticals within wellness that you think are ripe for innovation that we're going to start seeing yeah. innovation within in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, man, we could go. We could go all day. This is, this is, this is the Pandora's box <laughs> question, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of cool stuff that I'm excited about. I think one area potentially is what we've kind of classified as the high performance lifestyle. Mm, and right. it's this, this transition between what is fitness and what is personalized healthcare. Mm. So you see companies like eight sleep, which is the mattress optimizing and tracking your sleep. Obviously the aura ring, which is a wearable. Um, you have companies like levels, which is a continuous glucose monitor that kind of tells you how your body reacts to different foods that you eat. And if there's glucose spikes, um, and all these different companies, uh, Hyperice, which is a recovery device, much mm -hmm. like the Theragun, and all these things that are like, you know, how many devices and gadgets can one person have uh, for recovery or performance or optimization? But it goes back to that point, right, that people are willing to spend anything that makes them feel better. If it can make them feel better in the end, like they're going to throw down some money on it. So it's, it's this evolution of not just fitness, but like, what is personalized well-being mm -hmm. mean to me? And then what are the products and services? You can even go further down that path and you get, you know, telemedicine companies like uh, Roman or Hims and Hers yep. who are giving you the things that you want um, based on, you know, some level of personalization, some level of telemedicine and convenience, uh, all down this path of like, how do we make it more accessible and convenient for the end user? So I, that was a much more eloquent 
uh, mm. summation of that than I could have even dreamed of. So I had like all these follow up questions, but I'm actually going to move ahead because I I don't want to I don't want to harp on that too much because I think you really summed it up. I think you summed up those categories well and kind of where we might expect innovation in those categories and in the subcategories. So changing that a little bit, let's bring it to today. Mm. So not looking necessarily five and ten years ahead, but maybe looking one year ahead, maybe looking six months ahead. The COVID-19 pandemic, something you and I have chatted about online a little bit, how it's impacting everything from the CrossFit world to home yep. fitness. But I want to talk about these the brick and mortar gyms. I want to talk about this, this gigantic elephant in the room. And the question that I've been asked, literally, I get asked every week, and I am not the expert on this, right? Like hmm. we cover strength sports, content, journalism, and training at Barbend. I am not the expert on the economics of big box gyms. But a question I get asked literally every week, at least once, is, hey, what percentage of gyms do you think aren't going to make it out of this? What percentage of gyms in New York City aren't going to reopen? Right? I literally got a text message yesterday about that. Yep. It's going to be different based on states, based on yeah. reopening protocols, obviously. What are some of your high-level thoughts on the impact that COVID-19 will ultimately have on the landscape of physical gym locations? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's going to be pretty devastating, I think. Um, I am not in the camp that thinks this is the gym apocalypse, that this is the end of gyms and we're not going to have working out in person. I just think there's too much to be gained from the community, from the environment. Um, you know, I used to own a CrossFit gym, so I'm a former affiliate, you know, owner and trainer. Um, I know what it's like to, to have that community and to build that from the ground up. And I don't think that you can replicate that at home with any device. Um, short of creating an entirely VR world. And I think that's far, far off in the future, right? Yeah. Like a ready player one for, for fitness, right? Yeah. I'm not in that camp either that thinks that's around the corner. Um, but just on the, the gym memberships alone, I read something the other day that was uh, the industry can expect to lose $10 billion in value um, through the end of the year, just on memberships to, to traditional health clubs. Um, and so there's, there's no way around it. It's just like restaurants. It's just like any business that relies on somebody coming through the door. I think what you will see is one, it's, it comes down to a lot. Is it a big brand name gym that has the financial backing of investors who are willing to get them through this period? Mm. And so you see companies like um, Planet Fitness, who's doing pretty well considering that everything's closed, um, while 24-hour fitness is in bankruptcy, um, Gold's Gym is in bankruptcy, just got bought out of bankruptcy yesterday. Um, and other gyms like Town Sports International, who's considering bankruptcy, um, they're just going to restructure. They're going to go through this process of um, really closing some locations, laying people off and coming back potentially stronger than they were. That game is a little bit different because it's a real estate game. A lot of them, they, they own these locations and it's what is the value of this real estate over the long term? On the flip side of that, when you look at a lot of CrossFits and boutique studios and yoga studios, you know, a lot of them are mom and pop shops. They're just people who are super passionate about what yes. they're doing and they're month to month, they're day to day in terms of that, that paycheck. And if they can't get in a position where either they work with their landlord to come to some type of agreement that we're going to suspend payments or work with their staff to furlough them and hope to bring them back on the other side of it, it's going to be tough sledding. And I think that's where we're going to see a lot of the closures is on that like kind of smaller sole proprietor or small group owned places. Mm -hmm. Now, local to Pittsburgh, is this something you've been talking with local, um, you know, independent gym owners a lot about? 
Yeah, I think I think Pittsburgh is probably a little bit different in mm. that um, it right it is more affordable here, right? It's not the rents of like a New York City or a yeah. big city, um, and also it is this being that it's like a smaller town. Everybody knows everybody, so mm. that to the extent that we can be supportive of the different gym owners, we will be. Um, I know this is not, you know, isolated to Pittsburgh, but renting out equipment, renting bikes, renting barbells and weights um, with the expectation that, you know, we're returning them when we get back and those types of agreements, doing outdoor workouts in the parks and in the parking lots and just being able to keep people informed as to what's happening, given that, you know, there wasn't a max mass exodus in Pittsburgh. We didn't have the levels, the surges that other cities have seen. So like everybody's still here. We're still, you know, able to interact to some extent compared to other larger markets. When you get to somewhere like New York, you know, people have left the city. They're not staying there. If they are, they're not going outside to the extent that they were to let alone going to a gym. Um, so yeah, even here, there are people who are, who are feeling the, the squeeze. Um, but it's when I start talking to folks who even have some, what could be considered like name brand gyms and studios and chains. They're just like, we don't know what we're going to do. If, if our investors aren't willing to float us during this period, if we can't come to some type of agreement with our landlords, like we're really stuck here. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe, where is the, I mean, we, we've just kind of scratched the surface on topics that I know you all cover in, in fit uh, on fit.co. And then the, I guess it's the insider vertical that covers yeah. the business of fitness, which is a fantastic subscriber. I'd highly recommend people do it. And we'll link to it in that, in the podcast description and on the corresponding post on barbed.com. Um, Beyond that, where is the best place for people to follow the work you're doing? It could be it on the kind of subscription and access model of fit or the side of covering the business of fitness. Yeah, I think the insider.fit.co is where folks can learn about the newsletter. There's also a corresponding podcast. Um, I'm on Twitter. I try uh, to, to keep the content coming out there as well as maintaining the day-to-day. So just at Joe Venary, my name. Um, and otherwise, just super willing to connect Um, and eager to engage with folks who are interested in this space and and be helpful any way we can. Awesome. We'll we'll include all those relevant links. And uh, Joe, I really, really do appreciate uh, your time chatting about something a little different on the Barbed Podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity.